Last week we began a series called Majesty as we work our way through the first four chapters of Genesis. And last week we were in Genesis chapter 1 and saw the Creator at work and a life bursting forth in the solar system and on the planet as God brought the heavens and earth into existence. Uh, over those six creative days that uh, we saw in Scripture, God brought beauty out of chaos. And the crowning achievement was his creation of male and female as his image bearers. But there was uh, still another important day that wasn't even mentioned in chapter 1. And that was the seventh day. And we're going to deal with that this morning. For here is a vital principle that happens in the order of creation that we can't afford to ignore. According to one writer, too many of us live like tattoo. Tattoo was a basset hound in Tacoma, Washington. Tattoo did not intend to go for an evening run, but when his owner shut the dog's leash in the car door and took off for a drive, Tattoo had no choice. Motorcycle officer Terry Filbert noticed this passing vehicle with something strange behind it and realized it was this basset hound picking up his feet and putting them down as fast as he could. Officer Filbert chased the car to a stop and Tattoo was rescued, but not before reaching speeds of 25 miles an hour and rolling over several times. Too many of us live that way, picking them up and putting them down as fast as we can. In fact, the majority of Americans feel stressed and overwhelmed with life and even in a retirement community, that is true. Technology, politics, inflation, health problems, scams and traffic and interpersonal conflict and taxes and repair bills and telemarketers and family turmoil are just some of the reasons we might feel pressure. And if you didn't, you did by the time I got done with that list, didn't you? <laughs> but there is a God-created rhythm for life that we need to follow. And from the beginning, God set this pattern. And remember, this text of Scripture is about him. For example, in the first 35 verses of Genesis, God's name occurs 35 times. So when we study Scripture, we must come away with truths about our Creator and Redeemer, or we've missed the point of it entirely. Each day that God created, he made, he arranged he then admired his work. We saw that pattern. He called it tov, the Hebrew word for good, for beautiful, for pleasing. And then after making humanity in his own image, God looked at everything and he said it was exceedingly tov. It was very, very good. So I believe that Moses, the human author here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, crafted this account to make a point. So let me share with you just a reminder, those first three days God formed, and then the next three days he filled what he formed. So you notice how they correspond. In day one, God created light, but in day four, he filled that light with the luminaries, the sun, the moon, the stars. In day two, God formed the water in the sky, and then day five, that corresponds with he filled those with fish and birds. In day three, he made the land and the plants, and in day six, he filled the land and plants with animals and with mankind. And all of that leads to the final day, the day seven, the day of rest. So let's read about that in our passage this morning, Genesis 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. 
By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating he had done. So there's a number of things I want you to notice. One is that this is a different pattern from the previous six days of creation. Each of those days concluded with the phrase, there was evening and there was morning the first day. There was evening, there was morning the second day, and so on. And that order is, is significant because it basically defines the work week. Six days of productivity, and at the end of each of those days, there's, there's time of rest. Uh, each evening through the next morning is the time of daily rest for the worker. And after six days of this pattern comes this seventh day of rest entirely. And far from being a day of nothing, this is an extremely important day. After the productive accomplishment of creation, God took a rest. The Hebrew word is Shabbat or Sabbath. Not because he needed a break, but as a model for his creation. Uh, David Atkinson calls this a pattern of universal significance. And the principle is this, that God made life to be a rhythm of work and rest. And immediately we want to ask, well, why? What are the benefits? What's in it for me? Uh, it would be tempting to list reasons, physical, spiritual, emotional, relational, but none of those reasons are given in this text. Scripture even doesn't specifically command keeping the Sabbath until thousands of years later, all the way into Exodus chapter 20, where it says, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath, a Shabbat, to the Lord your God. Well, back here we are in the beginning of creation, and we're simply told that this is what God does. God works and works. God's productive. God brings chaos, beauty out of chaos, and then there is rest. Now, as we look at that text that we read already, the word completed and the word finished are the same word in Hebrew, kalah. So the heavens and earth are kalah, and God is kalah with his work. Uh, finished, completed, good translation. It's a word that's also used later in Genesis of camels drinking their fill of water. Uh, th their thirst was kalah, it was finished, it was quenched. So after six days, God's creative work was filled up. It was quenched. And then God set apart the seventh day as holy and rested. And you say, well, wait a minute. John, are you, are you talking legalism here? Are you saying that we need to go back to blue laws where all the stores are closed on Sunday and, and uh, those church people shouldn't be eating out at restaurants and making other people work and we should all sit on the porch swing drinking lemonade with Aunt B and Opie and Barney? Is that what this is? No, that's not what this is. That's a good image, but that's not what this is about. In fact, Christ has set us free from the law. Things have changed because of Jesus. You just look at Colossians chapter 2. When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So understand that the written code of regulations was nailed to the cross. 
and that through faith in Christ, we live in the restedness of God every single day. If you're a follower of Jesus, every day is a day of restedness in Christ. We are new creations. We're safe and secure in Jesus. And so instead of trying to frantically struggle to impress God or frantically struggle to impress people, we have the power to live in restedness because of Jesus. And so let me affirm that there are no requirements to keep the Sabbath, but God built us to need one. He built us to need one. Now, speed limits are a good thing. I know that generally they're ignored. You drive down Sun City Boulevard and people are doing 50 and it's supposed to be 35 and sometimes that person is me, but not usually. (laughs) I enjoy uh, uh, Highway 130 where you can go 80. I like that one. Uh, but speed limits are good. Keep things under control. Uh, a number of years ago, I did a little mini indie uh, track with uh, one of my grandchildren, my, my oldest grandson. And that was so much fun. You get in that little car, and I just press the pedal all the way to the floor, and it, you just go, and there's no speed limit. You go as fast as that screaming little engine will take you, which when you get my bulk in there, not as fast as I'd like it to be. But you just go and go and go, pedal to the floor until they say, stop, stop, stop. And you have to take a pit stop. God designed his people to need a pit stop every seven days. No matter how fast you go, the other six, God designed us for that pit stop every... And and it's not simply physical at all. This is a spiritual deal. Frederick Faber said this, God is always whispering to us, Only we do not always hear because of the noise, hurry, and distraction which life causes as it rushes on. That's why we we need space for God. We need that break, that time where we can hear his voice, get back in sync with him. God made life to be a rhythm of work and rest, and so we need to take time to uh, hear him, connect with him, rest in him. Now, my family can bear witness that I, since it became popular, I've always despised the saying 24-7. Because even though it, it first appeared in Sports Illustrated in 1983, it didn't become part of popular culture until about the mid-90s. And it's just, it drives me crazy when people use that in relationships. I'm here for you 24-7. Just an overpromise. Only God is constant. I don't like it when it's used in business. Our customer service is available 24-7 because it falls short. I just, a couple of weeks ago, broke up with a company because their 24-7 promise failed in the middle of a weekday. And so I said, we're done here. (laughs) Even more detrimental to us is the constant connectivity that we have in our world. Through technology, we're constantly going and doing and working and ordering and experiencing and expecting. And so I have a different catchphrase that's not 24-7. I shared it with you last year, and it's based on the rhythm of creation. And that rhythm is not 50 plus 2. It's not what I've heard in Sun City, which is six Saturdays and a Sunday. It's definitely not 24-7. It is 6 plus 1. Six Six days you are productive, and one you declare holy to the Lord. That's foundational to who God made us to be. Now, in uh, 2005, a team in the Netherlands tried to break the world record for falling dominoes by setting up over 4 million dominoes. I don't have the patience for that kind of thing. 
Their labor came within inches of destruction when after a long day of setting up those plastic rectangles, somebody left a window open, a sparrow flew in, and knocked down about 25,000 dominoes. Now, why didn't all of them fall down? Because they built in 750 gaps so that any accidental domino knocking would not devastate their entire effort. That's what God has done. He set in some gaps. And this is what sets us apart from all creation. As one made in God's image, you should live in the six plus one rhythm. After six days of creation, God stopped and declared one day of holy rest. Now, how is that violated? Well, it's violated. You're out of rhythm, either by working too much or by taking too much leisure or by not using the seventh day appropriately. Without that six plus one rhythm, life is going to feel hopelessly hectic or noticeably unsatisfying, and there's going to be a loss of connection, of value, and of contentment because you're not living as God created you to live. You need the rhythm of work and rest that God established at creation. So let me affirm for you, and there's a lot of ways this can be misunderstood, and even when I'm clear, you misunderstand me, so let me understand you're going to be misunderstanding me here, but... I worship seven days a week. For most of that week, I worship through my work and productivity. And then one day a week, I worship through my rest. Uh, What does that look like? As a Christian, the very cycle of your week is a theological statement. Your God-created rhythm is to be productive and active for six days and then have the reprioritizing rest that you need that God created for you. So let me translate that for those of you who are retired. Six days, you should worship God through some form of productivity. That does not mean eight hours of paid labor or eight hours of volunteer labor. Here's what it means. Let me give you some ideas. You worship through work by bringing beauty from chaos. There's a principle. You worship through work by organizing what was disordered. By fixing what was broken, by filling what was empty, by providing what was lacking, by making what was unmade. Those are just some principles of how you can worship through work. It means that you are intentional about things like serving, repairing, helping, crafting, teaching, cleaning, laboring, sharing, building, cooking, counseling, leading, gardening for the glory of God. That's what it looks like. And so whether you're paid or volunteer, produce to the best of your ability for God's honor. That's six days of some sort of productivity. And then there's the one day where you worship through rest. What does that look like? What should you do? Well, let me give you guidelines. I'll give you five guidelines. Not specifics, guidelines. First of all, you've got to come to a full stop. And that's the meaning of the word Shabbat, Sabbath, to stop, to come to an end, to catch your breath, so to speak. One grade schooler was asked what she'd be when she grew up, and she said, tired. (laughs) She'd been watching her parents. It's tough to be a young family and young parent, right? But God builds us for a one full stop per week. Now, I know many, many people who have the opposite problem. It's not that they they don't come to a full stop. They never come to a full start. And that is a whole different deal. But I think the majority have a tendency not to pause and catch your breath. 
Full stop means that for one day a week, you live in a rhythm different from the other days. You might you still be using your God-given spiritual gifts on that day, still be ministering to others, but it's a different rhythm than the other days. That's one. Second, celebrate your accomplishments. I don't know about you, but too often I focus on what I didn't get done. Focus on the frustrations that I had. If you've been productive, take time to rejoice in those achievements. Look back on what you produced. And if you don't have anything to look back on, that shows you're out of rhythm. Reflect on the dresses made for mission, the crafts done on Fellowship Tuesday, the work of fixing, cooking, learning, teaching, building, creating, cleaning, leading. And not to raise your level of pride, but to appreciate what God enabled you to do. Celebrate that. Now, I, I've taken the practice of rereading things that I've had published because I recognize that in most cases I've never read them since the day I wrote them. And occasionally I regret what I produced. So recently I was reading from the first book I ever wrote on the parables, and I tell you, there's some cringeworthy reading in there. <laughs> but I thank God, I was able to thank God, thank God I got better. Thank God you, you've improved me. So I praise God for the privilege of getting many good thoughts and ideas in print despite me. And I think there's this opportunity that we all need to have to celebrate the accomplishments we've made for the glory of God. Third, connect with your creator. So this kind of rest is not merely an absence of work, but it's a time to delight in God. Declare it holy to the Lord, he says. So part of that is the gathering of God's people. Together we participate in music and scripture and mutual encouragement that keeps us connected to the one who formed us. Take time to intentionally honor your Redeemer. And that should happen in all your experiences. How can, you, how can you possibly see a sunset or walk the beach or view the stars or study foliage and, and, and look at wildlife and not be in awe of your Creator? If you're only focused on your own pleasure and what that brings to you, then you're going to miss the point. And that, what a beautiful opportunity to... So Amy, my wife, has her devotions on our screen porch. And uh, the birds and the deer and the fox and the turkeys enrich her worship experience. And, and that's true of my mother as well. This is my mom. Um, this is uh, this picture she sent Amy last week. And my mom, she enjoys all the birds and the butterflies on her property. She grows beautiful flower gardens. She shares those flowers and, the, and plantings with others. And... Um, where she lives, they have something they call rain. Uh, it's, it's, it's evidently phenomenal. And uh, so she grows some beautiful things. And she's 90 years old. And um, I'm so impressed. I'm impressed. She took this pic herself with her iPhone. So I'm, that's the thing I'm most impressed by. And then texted it to my wife. Amazing. But she, also, she texted me and she said, and I quote, God's majesty is my passion. God's majesty is my passion. Connect with your creator. Fourth, declare your dependence. <coughs> declare your dependence. What does that mean? Americans prize their independence. But as a Christian, you must always recognize your dependence on the Lord. That's what the Sabbath does. It's the constant admission that you can't live without God. That your constant hurry and frantic work and busyness, that's not what's holding this world together. 
The six plus one rhythm shows that this world does not rely on me, but on the promise of God himself. And this rhythm reminds me to stop making this world into my own image for my own purposes, to recognize that I'm made in God's image for his purpose, and I'm dependent on his mercy and grace. Fifth, rest your soul. Rest your soul. The daily grind is draining, and I need the shepherd to restore my inner being. Only he can do that. Mere relaxation can't do that. Psalm 62 says, uh, my soul finds rest in God alone. So make time for nourishment that the Lord alone can provide. One practical thing that I've done is to put my phone on do not disturb at scheduled times. that No one can call me or text me except for my family, and not even all my family, some of my family. So I'm trying to take, I struggle with this a great deal. I'm trying to take a Sabbath rest from receiving email and messages. And I meditate on scripture because truth about God calms and centers me. I sing. I breathe out prayers, speaking my heart to God over a person or a problem or a praise. I need constant reminders of what Jesus said. He said Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. And there in Matthew 11, Jesus goes on to make it clear that you only get rest for your soul when you come to him in humble dependence. You see, God made life to be a rhythm of work and rest. And it's this refilling, reconnecting, recharging, reorganizing rest that gives this necessary rhythm to life. And let me also tell you that for those who are in Christ, there's a forever rest to come. A forever rest. Hebrews 4.9 says there's a future Sabbath rest for the people of God. And we don't have time to describe it. It's not sitting around on a cloud playing a harp. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a, a, a series on heaven, Lord willing, next, uh, probably next year sometime. We'll see. And we'll get descriptive about what Scripture says. But, but it's, it's not the rest in the way that you typically think of it. It's an eternity of peace and joy and blessing where we will rule and reign with Christ. And there will be the joy of accomplishment in heaven without any of the downsides of stress and failure and weariness as we take part with our creator in the ongoing creative activity of the universe. But that future rest, it's only for those who have received Jesus. You must first abandon your self-salvation projects of thinking that you're good enough or that you can do enough to deserve God's favor. Instead, you come to him in humility and accept that Jesus lived the perfect life that you could not live, and Jesus died the death that you deserve to die, and he triumphed over the grave so that all who believe in him can cross over, he says, from death into life and become daughters and sons of the living God. Through Christ, you become a new creation with the promise of abundant life now and a forever rest to come. And if that is you, one way to better enjoy today is to keep this six plus one rhythm. Don't sell your soul to the constant pursuit of pleasure. Don't sell your soul to a career or to a hobby or to a responsibility or to some symbol of success. Don't abuse the image of God for your own enjoyment or achievement. Don't neglect your soul for distractions and amusement. Right now, there are some of you who are probably way too plugged into all kinds of activity and diversion, and you're setting the rhythm of your life to the wrong beat. And it's not just what you do that can bring glory to God. It's also what you choose not to do. Choose not to be frantically busy. Choose not to be unproductive, even at this stage of your life. Choose not to invest yourself in anything to the extent that you neglect God's pattern that he put in place at creation. And so the encouragement is to enter God's six plus one rhythm of meaningful productivity and holy rest.
There's not a person in this room who cannot do that in some form or another because that's what God made you to do. Meaningful productivity, holy rest. Now, I met Rich because our daughters were school friends, our youngest daughter. And uh, after our families got acquainted, uh, Rich brought his whole family to church, the one I was pastoring at the time. Now, Rich is a very successful, highly successful lawyer. And attending church was not something he had made time for in years. But soon, Rich and his family were there every single Sunday and getting involved in the life of the church. About two years later, uh, I never really talked to him much, but we were at a social gathering, and Rich said, you know that first Sunday I was at church? That was a pivotal day for me in my life. And I said, really, why? And he said, well, that day you taught about restedness in Christ. And he said, up until that day, I went into the office seven days a week. He said, now, usually Sundays was only half a day, but seven days a week. And I had no margin. I had no full stop. And he said, that day, I became a six plus one man, and it has changed our family. This world needs to see what it means to be the image bearers of the almighty creator. Don't go out of this place without determining to make a change today. I need to make some changes it might be small, it might be large, but do something. It may involve how you organize your weekend, that you will eliminate some events and activities that interrupt the rhythm. Maybe you'll try and take seriously how you approach worship. That is so key. Is that you'll come prepared to meet with God rather than being in a hurry or rather than seeing it as a duty or to come without expectation. Before you agree to anything that interrupts the rhythm of work and the rhythm of rest, consider six plus one. Before you build a house, plan a vacation, buy a sports car, or say yes or no to a responsibility, consider six plus one. You may need to quit something. You may need to start something. But the question is, how will you honor the Lord of the Sabbath? Are you willing to change to better reflect the image of your creator? Are you ready to live within this God-created rhythm. Back in the 1800s, John Whittier wrote a poem that became a hymn as well. And in that, he asked God to forgive our foolish ways and help us order our lives properly. Not only was that written before the World Wide Web, it was written before World War I. And yet it's still as true today as it was then. Here are these words. Oh, Sabbath rest of quietness, till all our strivings cease. Take from our souls the strain and stress and let our ordered lives confess the beauty of thy peace. Would you stand with me and receive this benediction? People of God, trust in the one who is your mighty rock and refuge. Find rest for your soul in the calm assurance of his love. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.